Hello, darling. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Build Your Tribe. Sorry, I know my accent isn't that great, but before we start the episode, I just wanted to let you know that my book, The 131 Method, is now available on pre-order. This is the book that's going to make you your very own health expert. Like you are going to be able to heal so many of the aches and pains and ailments and strange, bizarre, I can't lose weight. I'm trying all these different things. I just don't feel like myself. I know I could feel better, but I don't understand why. And there's all these different diets out there. Should I do keto? Should I do paleo? What about drinking celery? There's all these bizarre, sometimes trendy, sometimes very confusing myths out there. The one through one method book is what I've been working on for more than three years, and it's finally here. You can take advantage of my free mindset coaching program. It's an audio training that I've created as a bonus for those of you who pre-order the book. All you do is go to Amazon to pre-order the book and then stop by 131methodbook.com. Enter your order number from either Barnes & Noble or Amazon and you will receive my mindset coaching program for free. And entrepreneurs, future business moguls, thank you so much for your support. I love you. But don't forget to take care of your health and pick up a copy of The 131 Method. Hey there, welcome to Build Your Tribe. My name is Shaleen Johnson. And my name is Brock Johnson. With more than 25 years of experience in a variety of businesses, I promise to share with you the ins, the outs, my failures, and successes. And my goal is to share with you these social media money-making strategies to turn your idea into passive income. Every week, my son, Brock, and I will share with you perspectives that will serve you regardless of the stage that you're at in your business. Whether you're a solo entrepreneur looking to grow your brand in social media or you've got dreams for a global brand, Build Your Tribe is here to serve you. All right, Mom, this one's all you. Well, thanks, Brock. Today is a really cool edition of Build Your Tribe. It's an interview with the CEO of Dry Farm Wines. We're going to talk about business in this episode, but you need to check out Dry Farm Wines, especially if you are into health and fitness, if you are interested in putting clean ingredients into your body, if you want to know what it is you're consuming, you definitely have to check out Dry Farm Wines because that is the basis for the problem that Todd was solving, which resulted in building this business that's gone from zero to $45 million in a little over four years. Dry Farm Wines is a business that imports alcohols, wines specifically, from small family organic farms all over the world. Natural wines that are full of beneficial bacteria, antioxidants, and absolutely zero additional fillers, additives, colors, etc. So it's a really, really cool business. And by the way, he has a special offer for those of you who are interested in trying it. I'm telling you. I'm not really a wine person. I wasn't until I tried Dry Farm Wines. And then I was like, oh, no wonder I was drinking domestic wines. It's totally different. Anyways, what's fascinating about this interview is the business. And most importantly, I think his process of bringing people on. Like that was my major aha moment after this interview. And be sure to stay tuned to the very end of this episode because Todd has put together an awesome opportunity for listeners of Build Your Tribe to try Dry Farm Wines. All right, without further ado, Todd White from Dry Farm Wines. Todd White, welcome to Build Your Tribe. Really excited to have you today. 
Oh, wow. Building tribes. That's uh, one of my (laughs) favorite topics. You're currently building a a wine tribe, aren't you? We are. But, you know, it's deeper than that. We, in addition to our primary business is the sale of healthy wines. But, you know, I also speak quite frequently on the ketogenic diet circuit, also Mm. speak quite frequently on meditation and other biohacks. Yeah. And so our tribe is really much more than wine. It's really about a natural life and about healthy living and about having a whole sort of balanced life. So even our email communications and how we talk to our members and customers really brings a lot of these topics into the discussion. So it's not just about wine, although that's our primary business. Now, I know you. this is not your first rodeo. You've built quite a few companies, very successful companies. I have. So I've yeah, I've been self-employed since I was 17. I dropped out <laughs> of high school mm-hmm. and started my first business. What was your a, first business? Well, it was a car wash. Okay. So not too grand, but I was quite young. I've been in a variety of different verticals, financial services, real estate, real estate services, real estate development, senior health care, but... Out of the 10 companies, there have been a handful of moderate successes. There have been two pretty tremendous successes in, in addition to the, the third one that I'm – two of them I've sold, one to a public company, one to a private company. I've founded three eight-figure businesses and one multi-eight-figure and one grand colossal failure that took me to zero, in fact, a negative net worth just five years ago. Well, let me ask you that because we love talking about the failures. There's so many lessons in those things. What was the blessing in that failure? Well, meditation was the primary blessing from, from <laughs> that failure became my meditation practice and my awakening and then my complete re-engineering of how I viewed not only business, but my life. And so I think that was the greatest win. But from that became a manifesto of 18 business rules that any business I would be in forward after this failure would have to meet these 18 rules. And so Mm -hmm. that had a significant impact on the design of my current business and manifesting that business into reality. Just to give you an example of a couple of those without covering them all 18. But one of them is an example is that I would never be in a business again that maintain accounts receivable. In other words, I wouldn't be extending credit to any customers. Mm. So all the businesses, the bigger businesses that I had been in before all had accounts receivables. Well, the moment you accept accounts receivables, you get in the collections business. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be in the collections business again. So one of my rules was that I wouldn't have accounts receivable and that customers would pay at the time or before service was rendered. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Because in essence, when you accept accounts receivables very often, then you're getting credit so you can finance your business, right? While you're extending credit to your customers. I right. didn't want to do that. Another right. rule, these other two larger businesses that I had built and sold were businesses that had a handful of large customers, right? And so I decided I would never be in another business again that had a handful or a limited number of large customers. I would only be in a business where I had thousands and thousands of Mm. tiny customers. 
And by that, do you you mean you really had, I guess, to simplify things, all your eggs in one basket? You had just well, a small group that if you always had to worry about keeping those big fish. I was not only worried about keeping them happy, but more importantly, when you have a business where there's eight or ten or five or even 15 large customers who dictate the majority of your business, those customers then start dictating rules down on you, oh, right? Gosh, so so you can't fire any of them. And you know, in these cases, in both of these businesses, I had maybe 15 large customers, but five very big ones, mm. right? But those five are constantly leaning on you for pricing pressure. They're leaning on you for terms and they're leaning on you in all kinds of ways. Right. Which can take the joy out of the process for an entrepreneur. So many of us, we we get into entrepreneurship because we don't want a boss. (laughs) Well, when you have large customers, you have a boss. Mm -hmm. And now I have about 70,000 tiny customers. Right. And so we're not beholden to anyone. Right. And so the another rule is that I would invest in unlimited market share with wide reach. That's i.e. the internet. Right? Break that down again. Say that again. I would only have a business that had unlimited market reach mm. and wide reach. So in my case, that's the internet. Everything that I had learned, both successfully and unsuccessfully, look, mm-hmm. we learn most of what we know from struggle and failure, not from success. That's interesting. So what mistakes or what do we need to be aware of when we are having success? I commonly say and tell my staff that success is one of the worst things that can happen. When you become very successful, you get sloppy, right? When you become very successful, you take your eye off the ball because everything's just easier. You know, we want to stay hungry. You know, as Steve Jobs said, stay foolish, stay hungry. You know, if you've seen his commencement speech at Stanford, which is one mm-hmm. of the all-time watched videos, it's one of the top TED Talks. Yeah, it's awesome. In fact, I'll link to it in our show notes. Yeah, it's, it's a 22-minute commencement speech. It was really quite wonderful. But anyway, so yeah, stay hungry. I mean, so we try to act like a startup. I mean, our business has been very, very successful. It's grown. Our current business is multi-eight figure. It's grown 500x in the last three years with zero debt and no investors. No. Well, let's dig into that. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Dry Farm Wines, Todd, tell us a little bit about what led you to create this company and when you started to think about the concept of Dry Farm Wines, were you already in the middle of something else that was successful? No, I was at the, uh, I had just finished my only real grand business. I had Beautiful. gone from multimillionaire to zero. Okay, so awesome. I was at a negative network and I was not working. I had closed a business. Mm-hmm. I closed it in a quite orderly fashion. It had investors and it was, uh, when I closed the business down, it still had a half a million dollars in cash in the bank. But I just had an epiphany that it wasn't going to work and I Mm. couldn't any longer be committed to it. Mm. And so this happened at four o'clock in the morning, I jumped out of bed and I was just like, okay, I'm done. This is it. This is over. I'm closing this down. What we say no to in life is very often way more important than what we say yes to. Okay. So why is it we are so afraid to say no or to just stop doing something like to walk away from something? Shame and failure. 
So I was going to have to call up these six, eight investors, many of them who were friends of mine, and tell them that I was closing the business down. They were going to lose most of their investment. So when I closed it down, it was quite orderly, no bankruptcy, no unpaid vendors, no unpaid employees. It was quite orderly. And then I distributed Mm -hmm. what was left, about $400,000 to the investors. And I walked away with zero or at that Mm -hmm. time a negative net worth. I was actually paralyzed with shame and guilt and just unable to function. Mm. For how long? Just into a dark hole from which only meditation saved both my life and got me out of that darkness. Were you able to be honest with people or did you put up that front like, oh, everything's still good over here, still successful over here? Like, were you able to, I guess, share with people what was going on with you mentally and physically and spiritually and no, from a financial standpoint? in the beginning. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. acting like everything was okay. I was just mm-hmm. isolated. Mm-hmm. I wasn't communicating mm-hmm. with anyone. Got it. I was in a deep depression. Mm. I certainly was not open about being suicidal. I was not open about wow. free of depression. I was not open about, you know, I, I certainly wasn't, didn't speak openly. I now talk about it openly on podcast and in public speaking. It, Did it affect your beliefs about your own self-worth? Oh, completely. So it became, you know, just indelibly enriched with shame. Mm -hmm. Shame is different than guilt. Shame Mm -hmm. is like we internalize that we're bad people. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything bad. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything illegal or immoral. I had a business failure. Mm -hmm. It's quite common for people to fail in business. Yeah. Over 90% of startups fail in the first five years, first two years. Yeah. You know, and only a handful of percentage make it past five. And so, you know, I had had, you know, successes and lots of minor kind of obstacles and failures along the way. But this was something grand. This is like mm. everything came unglued. I mean, I had been a multimillionaire since I was in my early 20s, since I was in my mid 20s. Mm. This, by the way, this happened to me when I was 52. So I went to zero Ugh. at 52 and, and basically had to start over, but for a period of months, I didn't do anything. I read and listened to podcasts and mm-hmm. through a podcast, I became convinced only from really from desperation to explore meditation to try and stop the, the trauma of the shame that was paralyzing my every thought. Mm. And so at that point, I discovered meditation, which for me, because I was in such a dark place, had an immediate benefit started meditating twice a day wow i started developing these 18 business rules and started manifesting through a mantra just to try to find peace this over a period of a couple of months i got healthy again emotionally and mentally and uh, i had also started experimenting at the same time with a ketogenic lifestyle. And so I had removed sugar from my life and really became super committed to my nutritional programming. And so this combination of nutrition and I had always been healthy, but Mm -hmm. I I had always been interested in low carb and being healthy, but that's Mm -hmm. different ketogenic. Anyway, I, I struggled my way back to health and but after I became ketogenic, I had a hard time drinking wines. 
mm-hmm. minds were affecting me differently. And so that's what led to my current business, which I started in in 2015 were $37,000 for the entire year. Wait, in 2015, did you say you grossed? My gross sales in 2015 and my mm-hmm. current business at Dry Farm Wines were $37,000. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit, what was the original concept? Did you go, I've got it. It's, you know, we're going to curate these amazing wines. We're going to import them. I mean, you were obviously solving a problem that you saw for people who were health conscious, for people who were also wine Well, drinkers. I was solving a problem I had. I wanted to be able to drink wines and feel good about it. And I just couldn't mm-hmm. drink standard wines anymore. So I stumbled upon the natural wine movement or revolution that's happening in small parts of Europe. And so then I started lab testing wines and started creating this direct correlation between a lab quantification and how wine was made and how it made me feel. And And the lab testing that you were doing, was that on wines that you were drinking that were domestic wines? No, these were these natural wines from Europe. I started experimenting with this lab testing against these natural wines and finding certain quantifications that made me feel the best. Mm Because I was a biohacker and I was was trying to understand this. Mm -hmm. I started sharing these wines with my friends that were quite difficult to get, but there were Mm -hmm. a couple of retailers in San Francisco that sold them. I started sharing them with my friends. They're like, oh, wow. They're all my healthy friends. And they're mm-hmm. like, wow, these wines are awesome. They taste better. You feel better. There's no hangovers. Like, you know, and so I started actually selling them online and that didn't go too far. So what made the difference? How did you finally get this idea to catch on? Dave Asprey tasted them and heard our story and decided to endorse. And we became the official wine of Bulletproof. Mm-hmm. And from there, the business kind of took off. So at that time, initially, when Dave discovered your product, was that something that you were selling individual bottles or was it a wine club as it is today? No, it was still the same concept. We were a wine club, just didn't have any traction. Like I said, sure. this was in 2015. So how did this one appearance on one podcast, how did that change your business? As I mentioned in 2015, so our revenue was $37,000 for that mm-hmm. year. And then on March 16th, I appeared as a guest on a Bulletproof Radio podcast. And that kind of changed everything. Since then, I've been on hundreds of podcasts. But yeah, so sales this year will be somewhere between 35 and $40 million. Wow. About 37000 in 2015. Holy cow, you added quite a few zeros, didn't you, from that yeah, first so, so year? That was, and again, as I mentioned earlier, that was zero debt and no investors. Wow. Congratulations. I mean, what a success story. That's remarkable. That's well, got to feel amazing. from a very dark place. We spend a lot of time failing. question is, you know, are we able to pick ourselves up dust ourselves off, and have the courage to put one foot in front of the other again. Depending upon how public the failure is, really can have quite a debilitating blow on not only our confidence and our self-perception and a blow to our self-love. I mean, look, most of us suffer from a lack of self-love and a lack of self-forgiveness. I mean, if I could give my younger self advice, the most useful advice was be more self-forgiving. I want to ask you about the idea to turn this into a wine club versus selling individual bottles, going to Amazon. Like, how did you create the model? Well, two 
primary motivating factors for why we became a wine club and why you can't buy individual bottles from us. One, I was a regular wine drinker and I wanted to help other regular drinkers who I knew I was poisoning myself with these wines and higher alcohol and and, and I believed that they were poisonous, know that they were poisonous and toxic. And so I wanted to help with people like me who drank wine on a regular basis. And so the convenience of having a club serve that goal. In addition to that, one of my 18 business rules was that my businesses looking forward would be subscription-based mm. or reoccurring revenue. Love it. So the single most important thing to me in my life today has never been money. The most important thing is a peaceful life, living mm. a life of peace. Now, meditation is probably the most important practice to bring you peace and to stop the trauma of thinking. You know, having recurring revenue or a subscription business, I get up every day with revenue from the prior night. I don't have to go out and sell something today. If I don't sell anything mm-hmm. today, yeah. it's okay. I'm not dependent on selling something today, right? Because I have reoccurring club members who their subscription revenue reoccurs every single day. What's been the most challenging piece to this business venture? Well, the two, there have only been two challenges. One, getting enough supply because hmm. these wines are quite rare. We grew so fast that getting enough supply out of Europe was quite challenging at certain junctures. We've solved that now, at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. But the biggest problem is I think the number one problem that plagues most businesses and particularly growth businesses is finding enough qualified people that I wanted to work with. <laughs> it has been the sole challenge to the business. We've not had any other challenges. We solved the supply issue and yeah. You know, we we just have not had any other challenges other than finding enough people mm-hmm. that we want to work with. So we have six or eight positions open right now. We have a very very intense interview process. It takes a typical candidate about two months. Why is that important? What is it in particular that you're looking for in the people that you're you're going to invest in and bring to the Dry Farm family? We believe hiring is the single most important thing we do Mm -hmm. because we also believe nothing has a greater impact on the quality of your life or your business than the people you're surrounded with. And that people have the single largest influence, positively or negatively, on the outcome in your life. And so the people you spend the most amount of time with are going to have the greatest impact on your life. Amen, amen, amen. And my hands are in the air. Yeah, because we spend half of my life. (laughs) <laughs> is spent with the people I work with. The other half is spent in my bed, which is why I recommend that people <laughs> that people invest in great quality linens and great quality mattress and great quality feathers for your bed because you spend half your life there. You cannot be functioning as a high performer without quality sleep. And it's not just the number of hours you're sleeping. It's staying asleep. It's getting restful sleep. And that's sheets, too. So I know you have a very involved process for hiring or interviewing or finding your right candidates. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, 
We just believe that hiring is the single most important thing we do, and that's the reason we have this very intense interview process. And we also, by the way, we interview the significant other as well. Mm, I love that. Uh, both in video. So initially, our hiring process, and anybody can see it just by going to the postings page. We're hiring now if anybody's looking for a job. They can go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash jobs. And you can read about our process there, but it begins with a 15-question questionnaire. And that 15 questions are generally life questions. There's not much about business in there. It takes a successful candidate four to six hours to do the 15 questions. So they've got to do that before we'll even look at their resume. Resumes don't mean a whole lot to us. I spend maybe one or two minutes glancing at a resume. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. after they submit the questionnaire. Mm -hmm. I'm most interested in the questionnaire. And then from there, they also submit a two to five minute video Mm -hmm. telling us why they selected Dry Farm Wines as a place that they would like to work. Mm. Following that, assuming that we like the questionnaire and everything comes together, we'll schedule a 15-minute video interview. It's a meet and greet. Mm -hmm. And if we get past that and they go to the next level, we do a 30-minute video with five people on the hiring committee. Wow. If they graduate to the next level, we assign them a work project. Mm-hmm. that typically takes them two to four hours to complete the same project that we use over and over again. Mm-hmm. Then we have another 30-minute video where they present their project work to us, and we do a 10 to 15-minute interview with their spouse and the two of them together on video. Wow. And if but, they don't have a spouse, will you ask if they'll do that with a significant other? Let me rephrase that rather than say spouse, because we never say spouse. We always say significant other. So it doesn't matter whether they're married or not married or, you know, what their flavor is, whatever. So if they're relocating with a significant other, that's when we interview. If they have a significant other and the significant other is not relocating with them, then we'll interview them on video. If that goes well, then the next step is to fly both of them out to Napa for a three-day in-person video. I mean, uh, in-person interview. Wow. Which I assume for cost and time, I mean, really time, you're not making it to that level unless you're pretty certain you've got the right person. We only hired 6% of the people who went through our interview process last year, and we only hired half of the people we flew out. Really? Right. Wow. So we spent, I don't know, we probably spent about $100,000 last year flying people out. Wow. Cost about $5,000 a candidate to fly them out. Sure. We flew about 25 out and we hired 12. Your investment is in people. That's very clear from this process. The quality of the people are going to, and I work with 25 people and every single one of them is a rock star. <laughs> There's not a slacker in the crowd. And the very first person we hired, employee number one, is still there. So what would you say to the entrepreneurs who are listening and thinking to themselves, either this is too much, this is overkill, or that would be great if I had the luxury to do that, but I'm, I'm in a need of someone quickly. This is just such a monumental impact on the quality of your business yeah, and the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, look, we have to view, you know, most people are spending their life Thinking about what they're going to do next when they get the freedom they want. 
the way we think of it is as a continuous string or a journey. I want to be enjoying every day of the journey, not just when I cash out or when I make this money or I achieve this goal. I want every day to be rich and filled with joy and peace every day of the journey. Not the destination, but every single day should be like that. Well, the people you're surrounded with are going to have the greatest impact on that journey. It's really important. This is difficult in startups because you just need warm bodies. Yes. Right? You need people to right? and yes. And we've made a couple of hires of desperation along the way because we just had to have somebody and we've separated from them. Mm-hmm. Look, every time we separate, which has not been many occasions, but anytime you separate with an employee, whether that separation is voluntary or involuntary, meaning they left on their own accord or you terminated them. Mm-hmm. Whether they leave voluntarily or involuntarily, that is a failure of management 100%. Mm-hmm. Because yes. it means only one of two things could have happened. Either management failed to assess the candidate when they were hired or they failed to lead them when they got there. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, this one hits home in a big way because it's painfully truthful. And I have shared with my audience here on Build Your Tribe, like if I look back on 2018 and our startup, that being the 131 method, if I had to pinpoint one major reason why we struggled this year was because of this. Like we needed people quickly, went with my gut instinct. We, you know, went through an interviewing process for a few people that just, they weren't the right candidates. And then to make matters worse, we didn't have the processes in place to make sure people were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And it's hard to admit, but it has cost us so much. It's cost us mentally. It's cost us, for me, spiritually. It's cost my focus. And of course, it's cost us financially. Right. Until we start owning our own narrative, right? We can't blame that was a bad employee. That the employee was dishonest. Well, that's your fault for not determining that in the interview and assessment process. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. It's also, we can't always know whether someone's going to be honest. We can only do our best. Or if someone is, you know, all the things that they appear to be in their interview. But I mean, yeah, without question, I, I should have done a better job. Right. So again, except in this dramatic life altering thing, which almost never happens. Everybody who leaves voluntarily or involuntarily leaves two reasons. Either management failed to assess them in the hiring process, Mm -hmm. or they failed to lead them when they got there. Yeah, or both. Most often, it's usually usually the failure to assess Mm -hmm. because we're using standard interview practices Mm. that don't tell us what we really need to know. Yeah. Right. So, and and we're desperate, you know. Like as you said, your greatest challenge. If I, you know, my takeaway from what you've shared with us is when I asked what's been the greatest challenge in your business, I thought it might be trying to figure out how to ship alcohol to people's homes or something regarding packaging. But you said it was the people problem. And the one thing I take away from what you've shared is that this greatest challenge is where you need to spend the greatest amount of effort and perhaps, (laughs) most notably have patience look so we have this it's like you'd be afraid to put out this questionnaire that somebody's going to have to spend four to six hours to even apply it's like you're afraid to put that out there because it's like well 
What if the good people, you know, what if they don't want to do it? The good people want to do it. Mm, yeah. The great candidates always tell us in that first meet and greet video interview, wow, I really enjoy it. You know, the first thing we say is, hey, thank you so much. We know how much heart and soul and energy it took just mm-hmm. to apply. Wow. We know how much energy you poured into your questionnaire. We really deeply, deeply appreciate that. And every single great candidate says, without exception, I enjoyed that. I learned a lot about myself from that questionnaire. Ugh. That's the candidate you want to be talking to. You've just really reminded me that we used to do that. We used to do that when we were searching for the right fit for the people in a company that my husband and I have since sold. But we always say that the success of that business was very much because we spent so much time searching for the right people. And we've moved away from that, I think. And you've just reminded me of how many times people said exactly that to us. You know, it was that questionnaire and the video that you made us submit that really made a difference for me. And it's how we found really, really great people. So this has been a really important, profound reminder to me to get back to that. What was it like to, you know, just have that really big year, that first really big year? It was such a struggle. You know, it's not been a business that, as I mentioned, the only the only real challenge has been finding the right people. Mm -hmm. But before we had that challenge, you know, it was like trying to figure out how to sell product. When I appeared on Bulletproof Radio on March the 21st in 2016, prior to that, I'd not done any influencer marketing. I had just been trying to sell wine any way I could and (laughs) wasn't doing a very good job at it. Wine is actually more difficult to sell than we make it look. I had run out of money again. The crazy thing was that this podcast was supposed to air a couple of weeks before and, you know, these things don't get scheduled and it's a big podcast and, you know, they're trying to figure out how to get you in, blah, blah, blah. The day the podcast aired, the company had $300 in its bank account and I had $30 in my personal checking account. And the next day, sales were over $100,000. I hope you send a nice gift basket over to Dave. (laughs) Oh, I've been good, Dave. Trust me. So anyway, it was, you know, it was a kind of a crazy thing. And then from there, it just sort of just tumbled. It it was just like, it just never stopped. It still hasn't stopped. But again, it's still finding these people that I want to spend my life with. Mm-hmm. We don't want more than 35 employees, key people in the office. We may have a few more than that when you consider our warehouse and fulfillment staff. But sure. we don't want more than 35 people because I don't want a lifestyle of working yeah. with more people than that. Yeah, it's hard and when you care. There's always something that's tugging at your heart or can consume mental energy when you care about people, and especially when you're taking such care to find those people. But if I had to ask you today, as an entrepreneur who's had a lot of experience in a lot of different industries, I find that one of the most challenging things for us to do is to remain focused. What do you do to avoid coming up with that next idea and having that divide your attention from what it is you're doing right now? Well, success is very dangerous in this way, (laughs) right? For a whole bunch of reasons, we start to buy into our own story of success and we start to believe that everything we touch is going to be successful. And that's just not true. You know, for me, maintaining the focus of doing what we do and doing it very well and doing it better There is a list. I have a list of business ideas, the list I call 
1440 list, and that represents their 1440 minutes in a day. I've got on that list are probably about 20 other expansion ideas or new businesses, none of which we have pursued. And we have agreed this year again in 2019 that we likely won't pursue anything new. Is that something that you have to ask other people to keep you accountable or if you learn to create those parameters for yourself? It's just an agreement that, I mean, I I set the direction and strategy of the company. And if we want to engage in bringing new business concepts, then I would be the person that would do that. But it's just a constant reminder that every time we dedicate energy to one thing, we're taking energy away from something else. Again, you might remember I mentioned earlier that the single most important thing to me is living a peaceful life. Complicating that peace with more ideas (laughs) just dilutes my peace. I think the most important thing is to stay focused on what you're really good at, and to become better at that mastery of craft. Oh, I want to hold on to that. That's great advice and a wonderful place to end because I think so many of us need to hear that, to feel that, to recognize that we're often our own worst enemies because we've got so many great ideas and they're all great ideas. But when we focus and give those that have the viability to change people's lives, the attention that they deserve and to take care of it like a plant, like a human being, That's when we can really see greatness unfold in front of us. Todd, it has been a great pleasure to have you here on the show. I also want to remind listeners that if you find this interesting and fascinating and you're actually pretty curious about dry farm wines and what it is they do, please go back and listen to the Shaleen Show episode that we did explaining all of the details, which you're going to be shocked. Your jaw's going to hang open when you learn what's going on in the wines domestically here in the U.S and more about what they're doing at Dry Farm Wines. The other really cool thing that Todd has done for Build Your Tribe listeners is given you a great special. So this is a wine membership. I can tell you personally that I wasn't a wine drinker. I would drink it on occasion, especially red wine, knowing the health benefits. But those same health benefits are not the same with domestic wines here in the U.S., which are not required to label all of the additives and additional ingredients that we don't even know are going into the wine. So when I tried them, I was blown away at how I felt, how they tasted, how they smelled, everything. It's, it's like literally a game changer. So I quickly became a member, which is what led me to want to ask Todd to be on the show. He has set up a special discount for those of you who are interested in becoming a member. You can cancel your membership very easily if it's not something that you enjoy, but your your minimum order is a package of six wines, and they are carefully curated by Dry Farm Wines. Go to Dry Farm Wines, the wines is plural, dryfarmwines.com forward slash Shaleen, and you'll get a special offer where you actually get seven bottles for the price of six. And trust me, you'll go through them much quicker than you ever could have imagined. And Todd, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your practices. I mean, just very tactical practices that we as entrepreneurs can put into practice in our own businesses. Thanks for having me today. I love it. Thanks so much, Todd. Talk to you soon. Take care. This edition of Build Your Tribe was brought to you by 131 Movement. Stop dieting. Save your brain, save your gut, live longer, feel better, 
Stop going on a diet or following somebody else's rules and figure out what it means to have your own diet. Figure out a method that actually serves you, that helps you to be a better version of yourself. Let go of all of this craziness and confusion that surrounds diet and understand the science, the science of one, the study of one. Join the 131 movement today. We're taking back the word diet and getting what we are rightfully entitled to, which is our health. You deserve not just to look amazing, but to feel amazing. I'd love for you to learn more about my personal journey and why this is a true passion for me. I invite you to learn more by going to 131movement.com. If you're in business, you probably have a website, but can your site handle your growth? How many visitors before your site slows down or crashes? What about storage and data security? From web hosting to virtual servers, Pair Networks provides the online infrastructure you need to start, grow, and flourish. When it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. No frustrating chatbots are sitting on hold for hours. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. That's P-A-I-R.com.